want to thank you for that introduction, Dick. I owe you for that. Uh, <laughs> I owe you for that. You know, uh, I have a couple of comments I want to say that uh, aren't part of my notes, and I figure we're running a little behind time anyway, so I may as well just participate in that. But it, it's real, and it's something that hit me just even in, in the midst of the worship time, in the midst of the announcements and everything that seems to be happening, and even sort of the intangible feel and spirit of this. I'm always, and, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised at, you know, you do these message preparations and you wonder, is there going to be a consistency with what I sense that needs to be brought to the table with what else is happening all around? And Joel and I and Kevin and Andrea, we don't necessarily get together and try to manage and manipulate all of that. And yet, uh, the sermon for me took sort of a crazy turn in the midst of all of it. And, and, and now I'm just noting, oh, Seems very consistent with some of the things Joel said this morning, some of what's happening here, some of what is even that intangible place. So I'm excited for that. And the second piece related to that is I'm going to use a word in this sermon a number of different times. And that word is tov. And it's going to come from the Hebrew language. And I just want to, to note that now, pay attention uh, to that when we get to that point, because part of what I believe is consistent with what's happening in here this morning is the sense of God's tov is here. And I think it describes well what seems to be happening. So I'm excited for that piece of it. Just make a mental note of that word tov, and then we'll dive in. You know we're in the sermon series called Lighten Up, in which we have dealt with a number of subjects ranging from laughter to play, from blessing to rest. And now we come this morning to, if you've looked at your bulletin, the topic of romance. Yes, thank you. And I know, sort of on the count of three, what we could all do is sort of let out a collective gag. I mean, let's be real here. Call a spade a spade. Is not romance something that should be dealt with in a weekend seminar where maybe you have date night out and you're willing to come because you'll get free kids care and you'll suffer through another 10 steps on how to enliven your relationship on romance? What are we doing on a Sunday morning? with this. But maybe we can rethink this subject a little bit. Maybe reconceive of this idea a bit. At least that's where I would like to go with this. And the way that I want to start in reconceiving of the subject is to start with reading some excerpts of some of my favorite romance novels <laughs> of all time. So the first one I'm going to pull out is this one. See if anything in here sounds familiar. Looking into the inside, she saw several coats hanging up, mostly long fur coats. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. She immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them, leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it is very foolish to shut oneself in any wardrobe. This must be simply an enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy, as she walked in, pushing the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. And next moment, she found that what was rubbing against her face was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. She felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. That's my first of my favorite romance stories. Next one, again, may sound familiar. 
to some of you, it's the end of this book, and it goes like this. Then suddenly again, Christopher Robin, who was still looking out at the world with his chin in his hands, called out, Pooh. Yes, said Pooh. When I'm when... Pooh. Yes, Christopher Robin. Well, I'm not going to do nothing anymore. Never again? Well, not so much. They don't let you. Pooh waited for him to go on, but he was silent again. Yes, Christopher Robin, said Pooh helpfully. Pooh, when I'm, you know, when I'm not doing nothing, will you come up here sometimes? Just me? Yes, Pooh. And Pooh, whatever happens, will you, you will understand, won't you? Understand what? Oh, nothing. He laughed and jumped to his feet. Come on. Where, said Pooh? Anywhere, said Christopher Robin. The last one we're going to show a video clip of. Uh, Andrea's going to put it up here shortly. It's a familiar story probably to many of you. I give just a mild warning that there is uh, sort of so, some mildly war scenes uh, in this. And so maybe if you have young children, I know that I do, um, tell them to listen for sure because the words are phenomenal. There just might be some images you would want them to avoid. So with that, Andrea, you can hit the screen and we'll show this clip of maybe my favorite romance story. Yours too. See, thank you. So wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back only they didn't they kept going because they were holding on to something what are we holding on to Sam but there's some good in this world Mr. And it's worth fighting for. With that video clip, I'm guessing some of you maybe are even mildly disturbed at the moment. I mean, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Interesting, but what does that have to do with romance? Winnie the Pooh was great, Peter. What does it have to do with romance? But then you show two hobbits, and we are talking about romance. 
Now I'm a bit disturbed. (laughs) Maybe we should go home after all. The folks in those stories kept moving on. It was dark and hard. They kept moving. They kept saying yes. They believed that there was good in this world. I don't want to keep the drama up for too much longer about where we're headed. Why did I read clips from those books? Why did I show that scene from the story? Well, the answer has to do with what is the original meaning of the word romance when it first came into language. And Andrea is going to put that up in the screen now. For when romance was first brought in through the French language in the 14th century, it had nothing to do with male and female relationships. That wasn't introduced until 350 years later. The original meaning of the word is stories of adventure filled with marvelous incidents and heroic deeds. Well, that's great, Peter, but where does that leave us this morning? That's interesting, but, but how does that integrate into our lives and what we're even maybe doing here as a church? Well, let me ask you this. Try to answer that question with another question. My question is this. How do you understand the Bible? How do you understand the Christian life? How do you understand the Bible? How do you understand the Christian life? Is the Bible primarily a series of principles by which we are to live? Is the Christian life? We know we're doing well in the Christian life if we're living well by a series of principles. What would you say about that? Is that primarily what this is about? Or we can try another. Is the Bible uh, a document that teaches us proper theology? And the Christian life is about making sure that we're living by proper theology. Is that what this whole thing is about? Or is it possible that the Bible, at least according to the definition I have up on the screen here, that the Bible is the greatest romance story ever written, and that the Christian life is participating in the ongoing, real, leaping out of the pages of Scripture and beyond, part of the greatest romance story that ever lived. I already hear some amens. All I'm going to do is submit to your consideration this morning that that is actually true, and if that is true, then it does not matter if you are one years old or a hundred, and it does not matter if you are single or you are married. For then romance is for all of us. And I think perhaps it might even be more critical than we know for our life as a church and our life as a believer. So I'm going to try to tell you a bit of that romance story again, stopping at a few strategic points to explain that. Uh, we'll go through it as quickly as we can, but I'd like to pray as we begin. I, <laughs> I think that was the longest introduction in the history of sermon giving right there. And I'm sure I would get a D in my sermon classes and I'm comfortable with that. So with that, let's pray as we begin. God, um, just help us all come underneath already what it is that you're doing here, that your spirit is moving and active, your tov is real. And I ask that as we spend this brief time together, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened even more fully to what it is that you're up to. And the greatest of romance adventure stories of all time. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Well, I won't read much of this. It'll be a passage that is familiar to you. But the story starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And skipping around, he says in the first day, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that that light was good. Keeping your mind's eye that word good. And then on the second day, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And he called that good. And the third day with the dry land, that was good. May the animals and the plants, and that was good. And humankind was good as well. And so I'm pulling out that word good as part of this story because I don't know what you have in your mind's eye when you hear this word good. But I can tell you what it's not. Okay? This is not God in these moments making some sort of evaluative judgment about what it is that he's just done. Like, he creates something like, whoa, that is really cool. Whoa, that even sort of outdid myself a bit. I mean, that, that is, uh, it's gold star time yet again for me. That, I mean, look at those animals. I never saw that coming. That is really good. All right? That's not, uh, what got good here is not the opposite of some sort of schlocky work. Uh, good in the Hebrew now, calling you back to that word I've mentioned a couple of times. Good in the Hebrew, when we bring it into the English, is the word tov. Okay, it's the word tov. And Andrea's going to put that definition up. She has already. And what good is when God sees that something is good, this is what he's declaring about it. Catch this now. It is filled with my life. It is filled with the life of God the seeds of which are meant to perpetually and continually unfold and multiply with more and more of my life all throughout creation. The picture of this is that everything God makes, from the sun and the moon and the stars, the light, the the waters above and below, the land, the animals, it's all filled with his life. And it's not static. It is meant to unfold and continue to multiply all of it, pointing at the wonder of who God is. And the majesty of God. I don't know if you've heard that before. For me, it's absolutely breathtaking. But the story gets better because as part of this good, God puts his own image on this earth in the Ish and the Isha, the male and the female. And he says to them this crazy stuff. Guess what? You're going to be the stewards of my tov. You're going to manage the tov. You're going to be there to help it unfold, to, to walk it out as, as the wonder of my life begins to subdue all things. Do that. And Genesis 2 ends with this amazing description of the man and the woman as being naked and unashamed. These were not accidental words meant to give us pictures for paintings. The author of Genesis is being very intentional about this description. For maybe you've heard me teach on this before, but naked and unashamed is not uh, this idea that they're physically naked and somehow not worried about it. Like my three-year-old when he goes streaking out of the house with nothing but a smile, right? Naked and unashamed literally means that they are fully open to the power of God and one another and acting wisely, meaning seeing as God sees. They're fully vulnerable, without guile, without falsity, without spin, without guilt, without shame. They're just wide open to the power of God and one another. And in that, God gives them the ability to see. Why is that important? His tov is ready to just go and move forward. To be stewards of the tov means to be able to see as God sees. 
And so this picture that I have at the end of two is, is creation sort of shimmering and, and shaking and, and vibrating, just waiting to be released and let go, and, and that the wonder of God would fill all things immeasurably. But of course, we know it doesn't work out that way. For in Genesis 3, the serpent comes. He says, you know, God forgot to tell you something about all this. He didn't tell you that you could manage the tov yourselves. You could have the knowledge of tov or good and evil, raw, yourselves. You can handle this yourselves. Look at the majesty of how he's made you. Take it yourselves. They saw that that fruit to bite into of the temptation was good, and they bit into it. And what happens? Their eyes are opened. They see that they are naked or vulnerable. And what do they do? Instead of open hands and open hearts, they close their hands. And they close their hearts. And they hide behind the leaves of a fig. Because no longer are they mutual partners in this incredible adventure. They are now competitors with one another because there can only be one God. And something is unleashed into creation that was never meant to be. And from that moment, the greatest romance story begins. For it's what the book is all about. Where God continually is looking for people who will open their hands. And they will open their hearts to him. And when they do that, the wonder of God's toe begins to be manifest yet again in profound and powerful ways. It's why some of the next stories of Scripture are Noah opens his hands, right? And God asks him to build an ark. That's crazy stuff. That makes Lord of the Rings stuff pale in comparison. Build an ark. It doesn't even rain in that part of the world. And then a bunch of animals start showing up. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know. But he opened his hands. And God redeemed all of creation. Abraham and Sarah, they opened their hands. God asked them to leave everything that ever would make them comfortable. And they opened their hands. And God did crazy stuff. He actually created an entire nation through the seeds of a barren womb. A nation that would be the light of the world. Joseph opened his hands and saved his people from famine. Moses opened his hands and wonders untold flowed from his staff. Ruth opened her hands. And an entire nation in a foreign land was redeemed. Esther stood in front of a king with open hands. She said, if I perish, I perish. But I will walk here. She redeemed her people. A shepherd boy opened his hands and he slew a giant with a stone and a sling. Three men opened their hands and walked into a fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will open our hands and walk it out anyway. Daniel opened his hands and the mouths of lions were shut. And in all these cases, this book that we read was not first and foremost about theological principles or ideas on how to live. It is telling us the stories over and over again of people who simply open their hands and open their hearts. And the wonder of God's tov again is still in this world. There is good, says Sam, and it's worth fighting for. There still is that good. But the story gets better. For just as the tov begins to dim and the land is being wiped out, and you wonder if there's ever going to be hope. A star appears in the east. 
And the story gets crazier. For the heavens open. And God empties himself. And he puts himself into the womb of a young teenage virgin girl who simply said with open hands, let it be done unto me as you have said. I will walk this out. And God subjected himself to the creation that had rejected him. That's crazy. He was born. He actually took on human body. And in his words and in his power and in his life and his relationship, he reminded us again and said, remember my tov. This is what it's like to live in my kingdom. Do you know how good it can be? Open your hands to me. I don't promise that you're going to have a place to lay your head. I don't think that life is going to be easy. But open your hands. And his followers did interesting i love the opening to the gospel of john it's in the greek language now so we don't catch it quite as much but it points all the way back to the beginning with the tov where it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with god that being jesus and the word was god and all things right were made through him i just read some of that all things were made through him apart from him nothing has been made that now exists and then it says these profound words in him there is life And that Greek word life there, now not the Hebrew, but in the Greek, it's the Greek word life, it's zoe. And Andrea is going to put that up on the board. Catch this now, related to tov. The word for zoe is simply the absolute fullness of life which belongs to God. Sounds like the tov. Andrea, do you have a slide that puts both of them up there next to each other? Filled with the life of God, John caught it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, he was with God. He was God. And in him, there is the fullness of the tov. And that life is the light of all humankind, says John. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. And Jesus showed us again the tov, the life, the zoe. He says, I've come in John 10.10 that you would have my zoe, my life, and you would have it abundantly, overflowing the seeds of who I am. It will come and overflow. John 10.10, abundant life is not about a house and a car and kids and a picket fence. It's about being overflowing with the tov if you open your hands and open your hearts. So then God did one more thing here, even more unthinkable. After reminding us all again of what this whole thing is all about, he stretched out his arms and he opened his hands. And we nailed him to a cross. And God died. For reasons I don't understand, for reasons I don't know, he knew he needed to do that. He opened his hands. He said, this is how you do it. And before he did, in some way again, I don't get all of the evil of this world went rushing into him. And he opened his hands to that and he took it with him. And in three days he went to places I do not know. But there he broke the back of all of it. And he ascended. And as he did, Peter says, he spoke to the spirits and says, guess what? The good news is coming. I've broke it. My tove will never end. It's the greatest news of all time. And it gets even crazier in one final act. He says, guess what, you guys? <laughs> I'm going to send my spirit. And he's going to fill you with my tove. And you get to do all this stuff. <laughs> 
think these, these stories in Scripture are just, you know, something. This is still going on. He sent his spirit to those people who would open their hands and open their hearts and be his temples. Paul says beautifully in Romans 8, he says this incredible statement. He says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, how much more will he bring life or bring Zoe to your mortal bodies? How much more can we in us, because of the work of Jesus on the cross or the power of his spirit, manifest the wonder of God's life? How much more can we continue this amazing story of romance that didn't end when this ended? It never meant to end when this ended. This is sort of the beginning moment where the tov is set free in its fullness. Again, we taste it now. Someday the kingdom's coming in its fullness again. And this whole thing will unwind all the way back with a new heaven and a new earth. But we walk it out now. None of which is easy, but all of which is good. So with that in mind, as I tried to tell the story as quickly as I could about the Tov and what's happening here in this world, the question that I have is where does this leave us? What, what is that? That's a cool story, Peter, but what does that mean for us? Give me some things I can apply. Well, hopefully you know me well enough by now to know that there is zero chance that I'm going to give you five simple steps of application here. It's just not the way. For good or or ill, it's not the way I'm wired. I was reflecting back on the sermon that I gave a few weeks ago on play. And again, I said I don't have five simple steps for you about how to play, and I was sitting at dinner that night with uh, my family, Hallie and the kids, and my parents, and some friends of ours. And our friends began to just mock me. And they're sitting there like, "Yeah, great sermon, Peter. That was fabulous." And I really kind of wanted to play, but then with their tongues in cheek, they're like, "You didn't tell us how. I didn't know what to do." <laughs> to which I responded, and I wrote this down. Oh, I'm so sorry. I guess I assumed you were in relationship with a very real God who, as we walk with him, takes us on a mysterious, dynamic, ongoing, unfolding, ever-changing journey of life in which we can partner with him, discern his voice, and walk out his direction in ways unique to the complex tapestry of your individual life. And that maybe, just maybe, he can teach you how to play in ways in which you are increasingly transformed into his fullness because of the work of the Son and the cross and through the power of the Spirit. You hardly need my five simple steps. Shoot, my steps may keep you removed from him. Ha! Ha! And though he's much scarier than me, he's far more good. Well, I didn't say that. It's actually much longer than that. I don't have five simple steps. I never will. What I'd like to have is the the complex tapestries of our lives woven together. And the ways in which God is moving uniquely among us all together then, and the wonder of a body moving forward with how God is leading, all begins to wind itself together. Not all doing the same thing, only in the sense that we're all walking out kingdom life together. I don't know what that means for you. I can say this, though. Maybe the one thing that I can say is I don't have a step. I do have an invitation. And the invitation is something I've said already several times in this message. And it's an invitation to me every day that I walk it out. And it's simply this. Will you open your hands? Will you open your hands? 
I know that you know this stuff. I know there's many of you that have been through seasons where you've opened your hands. Will you continue to open your hands? Even when it's not easy. Even when you thought maybe you'd be heading into the fullness of something amazing and it caused you to walk in a way where you had no place to lay your head. But will you open your hands? Will you tell our children about the stories of how you opened your hands? Will you show them that? Not just yours, but ours. Young or old, single or married, and say, well, Peter, I'm 90 years old. <laughs> Abraham opened his hands. Well, Peter, I'm five years old. I, you know, I just... Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. A little boy opened his hands. Will you open your hands? It's more than just male-female, but it does include male-female. For those of you that are married, what would it be like to join your hands together? It's awfully scary. What would it be like to join your hands together? and to open them together. Callie and I struggle through our lives just like everybody. But when we're at our best, we open up our hands together and we jump in the pool of God's stream of eternity together. It doesn't always end how we like, but it almost doesn't matter because this tove comes forth again in ways that are often painful, but very real and very good. You want romance back in your relationship. Try opening your hands. Finally, as a church, and this is what moved me so profoundly as we did worship, as we walked through the announcements, as this, this, this sense is here and I can feel it, what would it be like for an entire church to open its hands? I think we are. I think we are. Kevin will probably kill me for saying it, but I'm faster than him, so it doesn't matter. I can outrun him. And if he does manage to catch me, I've seen enough UFC, I know what to do. But in the sort of weird outsider-insider relationship I've had and the many meetings and times I've had with Kevin, he's one of the few pastors I've ever met in life who regularly opens his hands. And he says, God, I don't know what's happening. Let your kingdom come. I just want to do that. The staff, I know you do. The staff does. What is it like when a whole church opens its hands? Well, again, the story didn't end here. It's not a book about a bunch of principles, though we can get some of that. It's not a book about a bunch of theology, though we might get some of that. It's the greatest romance story that has ever been told. And that stream of eternity is continuing today. And it won't end until the heavens open and the white horse rides through and says, now it is done. Until then, for all of you, open your hands. This world is dark, but my light and my life shines in the darkness. And I promise you, it may be painful and it may hurt, but the darkness will never overcome. Open your hands. Be a part of the great stream of witnesses that have done this over and over again. Walk out the race that is before us. And Joel and I chatted this week a little bit and song just even that we sing regularly as a family when we know we're sort of in a season of opening our hands and we don't know what's in front of us and it's just it's a step by step god we just trust again that you will lead us i invite you to stand at this point and and as a church yes individually but in the in the tapestry of our lives woven together that there would be the sense that step by step